over the summer as we've been going through the book of Luke and Jesus' journey through Samaria, I think it's been pretty clear that Jesus has been coming after our heart. And we have discussed how through the word and through prayer, we are driven closer to the heart of God. And today we come across a parable which isn't necessarily difficult to understand, but still maybe the best way to describe it when we read it as this parable has a tendency to make us hesitate, maybe do a double take. Do I have any athletes out there today? I see that hand. Thank you. Now, have you, uh, remember when you were playing basketball and you were good enough to be a starter, but the coach didn't like you, so you played on the bench, but every once in a while he would look at you and he would give you the like, and you'd be like, oh, it's me. I'm going in. And you would stand up and then he'd be like, no, 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 sit down. That's how I kind of sometimes approach this text. I hesitate with it, man. That was a little bit too personal, but now you know a little something about me. Now, I say all that to say, when we come across this, we do need to hear it. Even though it's truth, part of it doesn't seem to make sense when we look at it logically. But I guess when you're dealing with God, who knows what we need, who knows what is best for us, whose ways are not our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, what do we expect when we encounter the creator, the redeemer, the one who gives life? He is not going to hold back from pointing out just what is exactly in the way of him and our hearts. And every Sunday, verses are chosen for us to look at. For our church, we follow a liturgical cycle of seasons called the lectionary and are chosen and have been chosen for a long time. These verses are picked for us. That liturgical calendar is this thing that helps us celebrate and understand more fully the mystery of Jesus Christ, right? From his incarnation and his birth, all the way through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, Pentecost and the church, the expectation of his return in glory. So the church basically took a calendar and created seasons of the church year, like Advent, Lent, and Easter, and went and selected different verses that they felt that it was appropriate for us to examine and actually created three different sets of them. So that theoretically, if a pastor preached on the New Testament, the Old Testament, and the letters of Paul or the other apostles, if you went to church every Sunday for nine straight years and he preached a different message, then you should get almost the entire Bible preached to you which I think is pretty cool, and they have been doing that for a very long time. But I could talk about nerd stuff like that and show you how smart I am all day long since I already embarrassed myself with the basketball story. Really what I'm doing is digressing. I bring up that so that you say, why are we choosing this scripture today? And more specifically, why are we only looking at this little tiny section of scripture? We also want to know what's going on around it, because when we do that, we can become a little bit confused. If we don't know what is coming before or after and we only look at that one little section, it's difficult. Which is why I'm always asking you, pull out your Bibles, follow along with me. And today will be no different because our text today is a parable, which is a story, right, that Jesus tells to further emphasize his point and is given during a section that he's teaching about our attitudes, our way of thinking. And wouldn't you guess, he's also going after our hearts again. So we're going to look at a verse in chapter 12 today, or a section in chapter 12, that begins with Jesus talking about the kind of attitude we ought to have. He starts with warning us against being like the religious leaders of the day, against being a hypocrite. Then he warns us that they are using their power and their wealth to persecute you. And when that happens, because of who you are now in Jesus Christ, you must stand strong. He tells us that even if they could destroy your body and take away everything that you own, 
what difference does that make if they can't take away your soul? In this chapter, God promises us that we are valuable to him, that we are seen by God, that God knows when a single sparrow falls out there in the world, if he knows that, he certainly sees you, knows you, and says not only are you valuable, but like we talked about last week, you are cherished by God, you are loved by him. So Jesus makes this bold proclamation to us and said, if you confess me before men, the Son of Man will confess you before the angels of God. But if you deny me before men, you'll be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Meaning if you are continually rejecting Jesus and saying, I do not want you as Lord and Savior, then we are in danger then of hell. But this chapter is again going after your attitude, your mind, your heart. And Jesus is saying, know that you are loved and valued, so confess, live this life that I call you to and be strong. For I myself will give you the Holy Spirit, will give you the strength that you need and the words that you need when the time comes. Because the time will come when it is not easy. He speaks these words to a people, to a people who are familiar with oppression, to a people who are going through something very difficult, a people who have been beat down by the powers that be and worn out from life. He speaks and proclaims this powerful message. And then this happens from a man in the crowd, which I think is just really shocking. Let me read this to you. This is our scripture for the day. It comes from Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And we've got our Bibles open to Luke chapter 12, and I'll break this down. Now, here's verse 13 again, right? 13, 14, and 15. Jesus had just taught on our great value to God on the importance of standing for him. And during this teaching, a man interrupts Jesus to ask him that he take his side in a financial dispute. Now, according to the law of the day, the elder brother, which I am, which is super nice, received two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger brother received one-third. Mom, Dad, if you're out there, let's remember this. This is biblical now. <laughs> Just kidding. It's, it's, it's not. This man did not ask Jesus to listen to both sides and make a righteous judgment. He asked Jesus to take sides with him against his brother. Obviously, Jesus' previous words about the need for a full commitment to God and trusting in God's care did not penetrate this man's heart. He felt it was more important to get what he felt he deserved. 
And Jesus refuses to help and responds with a question saying, who appointed me judge or arbitrator between you? Now, obviously, in this situation, no one had, even though a rabbi was the judge between people in the Jewish community. And as we talked about last week, didn't Jesus say, ask, seek, knock, and you will find and receive and have the door opened? And so here's this guy who's asking, but Jesus gives a firm no which is a quick side note, so much for prayer, right? As a procedure of words, we should learn and then it will just get what we want, kind of like a magic genie. Jesus discerns that this question of the man, this request has nothing to do about justice. This is about greed. And he warns the man and he warns us that life is more than just what you have. I think here's where the deceptive nature of the heart is such a challenge. Because this man has beautifully masked his covetousness, his greed, by claiming that he is on a righteous cause. And that because he's right or because he wants it and because it would be better this way, more fair, then it's okay. But Jesus sees through that as he always does. And he tells the story inviting the man to participate and see himself in the story. The man can enter into the story, or he can ignore it and say, I don't know what you're talking about with your story. I don't even own a barn. I just kind of want my inheritance. I'm moving on. Parables don't make a thing easier. They make them harder sometimes. Because they have a way of not necessarily condemning, and they certainly don't condescendingly explain something. They're just there, kind of like a little uh, pebble in your shoe. It bothers you, requires attention requires participation. Now you heard the story already and maybe you looked at that this week or this today and like I did this week and thought, if Jesus didn't want us to be greedy, why didn't he just give us the formula? Why didn't he just give us the to-do list of what to do? Why didn't he just say, okay, to make sure that you don't have greed, you must give 10% of everything you earn. And to make sure that you don't start to covet what is yours, I want you to do this and say this and then everything will be fine. And there's a part of me that desperately wished Jesus would have just done that. But the other part of me knows how well I do on my own to-do list that I create and my sweeping declarations and then ignore because I can't even do the most basic of eating, ex eating healthily and exercising daily. Though I am proud to admit, friends, I am down to one plate of nachos a day now. So it would appear that Jesus is not after a list of to-dos. He's after your heart. The text is, says, watch out. The Greek word is guard yourselves. Guard yourselves against greed. It's the idea that we're under attack from the power of greed, that we must defend, make certain that your heart is rooted in trust and love, not greed, which is the principle that Jesus always stresses when he begins to talk about material things. When we live with an attitude that our life consists in what we have, so let's get a little bit more, we are living in greed. We are living with this insatiable thirst with an identity that is based only on appearance. And friends, if you feel like Jesus is going to be a little extreme here, you should see what his apostles, specifically Paul, tells us in Colossians 3. He doesn't say guard against, he says put to death the desire of greed. So 
So when the parable comes, it looks like this man was blessed with fertile ground. That by adding a little bit of hard work to that ground, he was a financial success. He was so successful that he had trouble managing his resources. It's funny to think that to be rich means to be that you are free from anxiety altogether, but this rich man was just as full of worry and anxiousness as anyone else about what will he do. And with the wealth of resources, you can see for yourself that he decides to confidently plan out the rest of his life. Tear down the little barns, big, very big ones. Manage his wealth, manage his surplus. All that he doesn't even need, he could store just so that he could enjoy life to the fullest. And then the shocker comes, right? Now, to be clear here, this parable is not saying that God saw this man's actions and then came to kill him. That is not what is being said. God has that right, but that's not what is being said. What is being said is that this man is going to die tonight. And God is asking him the question in all his surplus of, well, what was it all for? Because in one night, his accomplishments, his plans will be ruined. His business plans and life plans could not control the day of his death. And all of it comes to nothing instantly. And the text labels him a fool, though any of us would look at him and call him a success. He made so much that he needed bigger barns. That's a success. But in this instance, God calls him a fool, not because he's rich, but because he lived without any awareness of or any preparation for eternity. God calls him a fool because he didn't see God in his own life here. God who had given him everything. He was a fool because he only saw himself and fixed his eyes on what he had. His life, his livelihood, his wealth were all a gift from God, including most of all his soul, and tonight that's going to be required of him. But he saw only himself. Perhaps you're thinking, well, okay, so then the solution is what? That if the man would have said, I'm going to give an offering to God, then God would have spared his life? I don't think so. When we think we cover ourselves first, right? We're going to make sure we're all good, and then I'm going to tip God with a blessing. Or, you know what, I'm going to just kind of do this, do that, I'll say that, and then it's all going to be okay. What does that have to do with our heart if we're only looking to make sure we're doing it right? What does it have to do with life that God invites us into, an abundant life? The point is clear. Jesus is saying that your heart, that your soul is more important than what you have. And he's not leaving it up to interpretations. He's saying this is how it will be. The man says, my crops, my barns, my goods, my soul. problem here is that the man stores up all this treasure on earth, but he wasn't rich towards God. That's what the text says, but is not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich to God? We're rich toward God by trusting in Jesus, who promised to provide, as you yourself just prayed, daily bread. Can you imagine if the Lord's Prayer said, and give us this day a barn so full that we no longer have to work and we can eat and drink and be merry without a care? 
We are rich to God when we know and demonstrate that everything good comes from him. When our heart is not focused on our barn and our crops and our stuff. But when our heart is focused on God. The more and more I spend time in Luke, the more I recognize that it is coming back to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your desire. And what's the next part? Love your neighbor as yourself. We're rich to God when we are giving to those in need, where later on in this very chapter, Jesus himself will invite us to trust and not to be afraid when we give to others. In 1 Timothy, Paul will remind us to be rich in good deeds, to share what we have. In Revelation, at the very end, a church had lost its way because they only focused on themselves and forgot that they were called to love and provide for those who were hurting and in need. Because wealth has never been meant for our own power, but to support others. It is ridiculous to give away what you yourself have earned from a logical point of view. But from a heart and an understanding of how God works and demonstrated, it is impossible as a follower of Jesus to not be kind and generous. You remember the story of the rich, man, young, rich young man. He comes to Jesus and says, I've kept everything, all of the law since I was a young boy. What must I do now to ensure that I have an eternal life? And Jesus looks at him in love. The scripture says he looks at him in love, not in anger or in disappointment or in like, are you kidding me kind of way, in love and says, go and sell everything you have and then follow me. Because the boy's mind was here, but his heart wasn't there. And God will refuse to let anything stand between your heart and him. Wealth was not meant so that we never work again, but so that we could use our wealth together for a greater good than we ever thought possible. What we have been given was never ours in the first place. Each one of us is saved on account of Christ Jesus. And you have been called and entrusted with that gift to pass that down, to model and teach it, and to give it away just as you have gotten freely. Friends, we're a body because a body can do more with their wealth than just one ear or one foot. We're not supposed to store our wealth. We're supposed to share it. And this is more than just about money. It's about your gifts, your skills. God has uniquely called and placed each one of you. And if you read this and just see money, you, you're missing it again. Because Christ Jesus, God himself, came into this world and gave everything. I spend a lot of time in the Word, and I often forget that. I always remember that He died and forgives my sins, but I forget that He gave up everything. He could have chosen anything, wealth, luxury, a palace. He could have bought Twitter twice. But look at what He chose. Jesus chose to provide wine for a party so that the host wouldn't be embarrassed. Not to keep the party going, but so the shame would be spared. He chose to give a father his daughter back who had died because it was all he had. He chose to restore a crazy man who had to live in the graveyard and gave him back his sanity. He chose to touch and heal 10 lepers. He chose to take a blind man and give him back sight. He chose a traitor to be his friend, deniers, deserters. 
He chose to wash feet. He chose to wear a crown of thorns. He chose a cross. And don't you ever forget that he chose you. At the beginning, God himself built a beautiful barn. You might call it a garden. And someone came and destroyed it. And instead of tearing it down and choosing himself and saying, forget all of this, he chose grace. Your father chose grace and promised to take the broken and restore them. Chose you to make you new. Chose you over the things. He chose people. Jesus always chose people, and he still does. And as the rest of the band makes their way up here right now, I'm going to close with this idea up and speak to the choosing of people. See, Jesus didn't tell this parable and then ask for an offering. He simply said, this is how it is. Let that sit for a moment and ponder it. He is after your heart. And I don't know about you, but my family has been given quite a lot. We got a place to, to live, we have food to eat, we have clothes to wear, and we got more than that, obviously. And obviously, we probably want a little more. I want to own a home, I want my kids to go to college. So I'm learning what to do, and I'm taking steps to try to manage my house, build a barn, put some stuff in it. And that's not inherently wrong or evil, nor do I think God is looking down at me in anger because I have things and I want more. He's the one who gave me the family, is he not? and calls me to do right by them, the very best I can. But what I want to end on is that there are families that don't have a home or a place to stay. They don't have food to eat or clean clothes to wear. And the children are the ones that are suffering. And if I can do something about it, and I choose instead to build my own barn, then I'm not hearing this message. Because if my soul's taken tonight, I'd be really disappointed if what my family said was, well, I remember dad gave us a really big house with a huge barn. I want them to remember what I left them was exactly what was given to me, faith in Jesus and a heart that loves the ones that he has called us to. So what I want to do is I want to invite you into something, something that three of your church families already do. And something that I'm really proud to say that my family and I are in the process of starting to do, it's called strong families. It used to be safe families, now it's strong families. And what it is, is that you open your home to children while the parent has a chance to get back on their feet and you keep the children out of the welfare system, out of foster care. Basically, let's say a mom has to go to the hospital, but there's no support system to care for her kids. She can't leave them alone. So the government steps in and has to take the children and put them in some sort of care, which starts a whole new process for her to ever reunify with her children. But if church families will simply open their homes while mom gets better, then those children don't enter into foster care. They don't have court cases and reunification to go through. And believe me, I know it's difficult. I know there's paperwork and background checks and there's a whole bunch of things. And you're thinking to yourself, you make it sound all nice, but these kids are going through it tough and you want me to just open my home? Yes. I want you to let them come into your home so that they don't sleep in the park. I want you to help me keep families together for our church. Because we have been given much one of us can play a role in that. So at the end of church today, if you would like, on my iPad up, 
If you come up, type your name, type your email address, we'll follow up with you. I asked the agency, they told me they were hoping for three families. <laughs> three. They've had a thousand text messages of kids that need help in the county of Orange. They are asking for three. We'll see. I'm going to pray, and then what do you got? Is it sur Which one is it? I surrender? Yeah. Sometimes the biggest mountains aren't our sickness. They aren't our enemies. The biggest mountains are our own heart, which King David cries out, create me a new one. So let's pray, and then we'll stand and sing. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have given us everything. You are our strength. You are our Father. And if not a sparrow falls in this world, Lord, without you seeing it, then may we have eyes to see the hurting and the brokenness around us. Move our eyes past what we own and what we have and how to get more. And in turn, Lord, to see you, your face, your eyes, and point us to those who, who need what you have given us. May we truly be your instruments of peace. Create in us a clean heart and renew us with a steadfast spirit. Pray this in the name of Jesus.